Well, friends, I am really excited to welcome to the Oakmont Church family today the Reverend Richard Joyner, who is the pastor of the Kenita Missionary Baptist Church in Kenita, North Carolina. You know, there are some people in this world who know how to dream dreams and see visions from God, but they don't know how to organize those dreams or structure those dreams or administer those dreams. They have trouble implementing what God gives them. And then there are other people who are very gifted in organizing and implementing and structuring things, making things happen, but they couldn't dream their way out of a wet paper bag. Richard Joyner is one of those men who can do both. He can dream dreams of God's kingdom and see visions, and then he knows how to make them happen. He knows how to implement them. Richard wears more hats then you can shake a stick at. He is not only the pastor of the Kenita Missionary Baptist Church, but he's the founder and director of the Kenita Family Life Center. He is the director of pastoral care, the Nash Health Care in Rocky Mount. And I was teasing him this past week because he was telling me that he has now, well, these are my words, not his. I said, Richard, you have become a government bureaucrat now. You are now officially a politician, but Richard just recently has been elected to the Rocky Mount City Council, and he'll be serving his community uh, in that uh, role in local government. He was one of the TN, uh, CNN uh, 10 Heroes of the Year back in 2015. He studied at Shaw Divinity School. He's a United States Army veteran. And Richard, you probably don't know this, but I've been saving articles on you. <laughs> Sunday, November the 8th, 2015, the day of the reflector in the look section. Here is Seeds of Change. Pastor's planning project grows into transformative health initiative for Kenita community. There's Richard on the front page. And then, earlier in 2015, I saved... The News and Observer, because at the bottom, Richard was the Tar Heel of the Week in the News and Observer in 2015. So really, you can go anywhere you want to, not only in the United States, but around the globe. And if you mention the name Richard Joyner, you're liable to get a head shake like this, that they've heard of this great man of God. And our children here at Oakmont, and children across eastern North Carolina in October, October 27th, are going to have a real treat. CBF of North Carolina always has a Children's Missions Day, several locations across North Carolina, and this year the Children's Missions Day is going to be located right there at the Kenita Family Life Center. They're going to get a taste of all the good things that Richard and his people have been doing together. So this morning, I want you to join me in giving a very warm welcome to the Reverend Richard Joyner. <laughs> Brother, it is good to have you. Thank you. Take all the time to Oh, mine, it's good to be with you and good to be with my best friend, Greg. Uh, he didn't tell you that he put one thing on the plate. I was serving with him uh, 
on the advisory board of Pastoral Care at Vidant for their 32 counties they're serving. And he uh, decided that he would not do that any longer as a chairman. And he decided that he'll put one more thing on my plate. I don't think he'd been reading those newspapers. <laughs> but I bring you greetings from Conto, as many of you say, uh, Kanita. When you pass by and see it, it do look like Conto. But uh, 14 years ago, when I arrived there, I thought it would be kind of humorous to say to them that I was so glad to be in Conto and no one smiled. Matter of fact, the deacon said they were going to take another vote. <laughs> I said, excuse me, Kanita, and they take a deep breath and say, he might stay a while. But I'm excited to be with you today, and uh, some of our students and myself are uh, excited about being back with you this evening. Uh, I would like to, Greg, to say that uh, take the credit for being organized and structured and doing all those things, but if Kayla tell you, I'm probably about the most unorganized person you can see. Uh, so God grace is still good. He still organized those places where we can't organize. And I'm excited to be with you um, today. Greg told me that I could take two hours and take my time, uh, <laughs> that we would serve hot dogs this evening when I finish. <laughs> But uh, I'm excited uh, about our partnership and our collaboration. Thanks to Oakmont that came out to the garden uh, a while back, and it was a little cold, but we enjoyed the meal, and uh, our students are excited about uh, our relationship. There is a portion of scripture I'd like to share with you as I share with you uh, some of the uh, process of this, this journey that God has given us in Kanita, uh, it has had its high moments and low moments. Um, I would like to take the credit for, for organizing and structuring it, but literally, I didn't. And I'm glad that I didn't, because if I had, I wouldn't, it wouldn't have made it. But uh, in the 25th uh, chapter of Matthew, um, Mark being one of my favorite books, but Matthew sort of, Jesus sort of lays this uh, story out um, about the sheeps and the goats. And I know that everybody here is sheeps and not goats. Um, and it sort of penned the process with me that um, after seminary and after all of the opportunities that I thought that I would have in life, Kanita was not on my list. I really didn't choose Kanita, it chose me. Anybody ever been there that you thought you were gonna end up somewhere else and end up in another place? And so uh, Kanita chose me and I, I had a real struggle with God. Uh, after everything that I've gone through and after all my preparations in life, I thought that I would end up and some other place, and yet it didn't happen. I ended up in Conto. <laughs> and everywhere I would go, people would say, this is Richard, he's in Conto. And I said, see God, they can't even pronounce the name. Why don't you put me in somewhere like New York? <laughs> but uh, God uh, 
organized and structured itself. And uh, in reading this account that Jesus lays out, um, uh, I fitted it. And so I was transformed to not fit the latter part, but be in the former part. It's pretty re uh, lengthy reading. Uh, uh, if you would bear with me, the 31st verse, it says, When the Son of Man cometh in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will set on his throne in, in heavenly glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separate the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you who, you who are blessed by my father, uh, take your inheritance, the action of the word, take your, your in the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in, and naked and clothed, and you clothed me, and I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous was answered him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invited you in or needing clothes and clothed you, clothed you? When did we see you sick in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brethren of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal, cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to eat, to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You did not look after me. They also answered, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or prison? did not help you, he will reply, I tell you, the truth was whoever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Will you bow with me as we pray? Almighty God, we thank you for this rich blessings as believers to come together and be with you today. We pray that you would take this word transform our lives, unite us in a way with you and each other, that we will live out our principal calling upon this earth, that your kingdom will come on this earth as it is in heaven, 
And may we live out the fullness of your calling upon our lives. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I pen this process today that this, this process that I believe, uh, the power of believing is awesome. The power of not believing is very crippling. And I say to you that I arrived in Canada, not at my own process. I arrived there because uh, I was one of those renegade preachers that uh, finished seminary and decided uh, I wanted to pastor some prestigious church. And I was over at Cornerstone for a while, and Cornerstone's associate, because I grew up right here in Greenville. Matter of fact, I used to ride on tractors farming the land right across from the apartments, and I couldn't wait to leave this area and get off the farm. You know, I grew up farming, you know. I didn't have to worry about a summer camp. My father had a summer camp for all 17 of us. You know, he couldn't wait to school. The last day of school, he was the happiest man in Greenville. He was so happy, you know, and he was happy to have 17 children and 100 acres of tobacco. I think we plowed everything around here. You know, and I kept asking my father, you know, what in the world can I do to get off this farm? And he said, Richard, you know, uh, get a good education, keep your nose clean, and love the Lord. And I said, okay, I think I'll try that. And so for the first 13 years of military and, and really thought I was doing pretty good, ended up in seminary and thought I was doing pretty good and, you know, landed at Cornerstone, thought I was doing pretty good and... Uh, Decided that uh, had my first church in Tarboro, and and just uh, me and, and and church just wasn't getting along. Kayla decided that I would go back into pastoral care, and ended up back in pastoral care, and thought I was doing real good. Until Greg, I decided one day from Wake Med to come back to the eastern part of North Carolina, and I did, and at Nash General. And was doing real good till my association asked me that could I go out into Conto and to help a man that was 92 years old to pastor church. Now, anytime anybody asks you to go help somebody 92 years old, that's a setup. <laughs> you know? I mean, what can you help a 92-year-old person to do? And I thought, well, you know, that's good. He'd been there 50 years, he know the congregation and so I went out to help Pastor Vines there, and, uh, and he was real, you know, he was, had some energy, doing pretty good. And I would go out and ask him, you know, how many Sundays you want me to come? Because some Sundays I want to be on the beach. I don't want to, I want to praise the Lord at the waters, you know. <laughs> With a different type congregation. So we were doing pretty good. And to one Sunday, he, he called me a week, said, you coming to church? I need you to come to church. I said, I'll be there. And uh, he said, I got an announcement. I said, I'm glad you do. And so he said, I want to announce the next pastor. And I was excited, you know. I said, good, you know. Maybe this guy's not 92, and maybe he don't need any help. <laughs> yeah. You know, I fulfilled my obligations as, you know, so I was, to keep my standing as a chaplain, I'll tell the Baptist district that, you know, assign me somewhere back west, not back east, you know. And so he showed up to church in a white suit. 
and uh, I didn't see anybody there but him and I for his preaching. And I said, well, when is this person going to come in that you're going to appoint to pastor this church? He just said, you know, I, I'm, I'm in charge, son. I know what I'm doing. I said, okay, I hope you do. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and this 92-year-old guy walk over to me with his cane, point at me and said, congregation, I'll introduce you to the next pastor of the church. I almost fell out. I said, sir, you can't do that. This is a Baptist church. They vote on things here. He said, I've been here 50 years. I'm 94 years old. I can do what I want to do, <laughs> including point you as pastor. And I'm sitting there, and he told me, go, go, get in the pool pit. And I said, well, you know, I think we should talk about this, and, you know. And he said, no, we're not talking about it. He appointed me as pastor, and he left. <laughs> he said, it's yours. He left. And I go like, you know, they looking at me, and I'm looking at them. I said, I'm just as confused as you are. You know, maybe this guy is senile. Maybe we need to do something different. But anyway, we started this process that I really did not volunteer for. And my father used to say that you don't volunteer, you volunteer. So I would volunteer to pastor the church and really had some issues with it because I did not see myself as a pastor in a church. I want to pastor a church. I ain't asked to pastor a church. And so uh, I said, well, I'm going to stay a while until I can find a way to get out of here. You know, there got to be a way out. I just make the deacons mad enough. <laughs> you know, if I make them mad enough, you know, they'll, they'll help me leave. And I got an excuse. And I said, I can leave here. Maybe, maybe some way that they're going to just say, man, we didn't ask for you. You can leave. And I said, I didn't ask for you. And both of us agree we both, I can leave. They didn't do it, and um, I really was sort of saying, I don't want to do this. Have you ever been somewhere you just didn't want to be? You know, you were expected to give an excellent service, and you just didn't want to be there. I kept looking for that way out. I kept looking for that way out because I just didn't believe that that's where I was supposed to be. And all of a sudden, I was thrust in this place, and, and I'm into the pain of suffering of this place, and... We're having funerals after funerals, and every weekend we're having funerals. And the first year there, we had 32 funerals. And most of them were black males at the age of uh, no more than, than 50, no more than 45, but 32 was the average age, and we're having these funerals. And I didn't want to, you know, just, I didn't, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask to be here, God. And, I didn't ask for all of this. I didn't ask for all this trauma, and I'm having a hard time dealing with this. And, and I, you know, I, I don't want to be here. Plus, I, I'm trying to preach with people that need somebody to be there. And I was like, I don't want to do it. And uh, it was every weekend. Not only was my Sundays tied up, but my Saturdays were, were tied in with funeral, and people are feeling hopeless, and I'm feeling hopeless. And, I'm asking myself, why these funerals? Why all of this trauma? Why the death? And uh, I was talking to Dr. Cunningham at Broder School of Medicine. I was saying, we're having all these deaths. And he said, Richard, you have chronic disease. I said, yeah, okay, I'm not a physician. Break that down in some theological language for me. 
you know, that I can help. Do that mean something that, that God can do? I'm not a physician. I, I'm, I'm, I'm here to get people to heaven. I'm not concerned, you know. You know so he said, Richard, 98% of the stuff you're dealing with can be handled through nutrition. And I said, well, so what did that mean? He said, Richard, you're in a food desert. I said, so what did that mean? You know, tell me something theological. Show me something in the Bible, you know. You know, do that, show me something biblical that can help me out. I don't understand what you're saying. And he says, your people do not have access to affordable, local, grown food. I said, okay, what does that mean for me? I'm not a farmer. I didn't like farming. I left farming. I, I, I went to seminary, man. I, what are you talking about? And he says, Richard, you can't afford it. You, you know, you, you got to find a way to get people nutritious meals. You got to find a way to begin to deal with this chronic disease and diabetes and high blood pressure. I went back to church one Sunday and said, everybody here that, that's got diabetes or high blood pressure, know somebody got diabetes, uh, raise your hand. And all of them raised their hands. I said, I said, well, maybe they didn't understand what I said. I said, where are you standing? Everybody stood up. And I said, my God, we are, we are chronically ill. And, and so uh, we start looking for grants. And he said, Richard, you know, you, you are not going to have enough of money in this community with the average income of $21,000 per year. We got 100 children and all of those children in single-parent homes. So you're not going to find the grant. You've got to find another way. And believe it or not, one day I was coming down the road and, and you know, I'm really doing this stuff that I don't want to do. And it was a hot day, about 97 degrees. And I'm going there for another funeral. And I was at the church one day and, and I told the people that we're going to serve food at every repast. And, and the deacons came and told me, said, you know, you know, pastor, you know, you got to stop serving this food. We can't afford it. That's what we're going to keep doing it. And so, you know, I didn't know that they take a vote in the absence of the preacher and it went. You know, so one, one day we had a funeral at Saturday and I was, I didn't smell no food. And I said, well, let me go back and check and see about the food. And I went back there. There wasn't no food there. I asked the deacons, where's the food? He said, we took a vote. that We decided we ain't serving no more food. We ain't paying for it. I said, didn't nobody tell me? He said, you won't at the meeting. <laughs> and so I said, man, I told the family we're going to have some food for them. I said, so I gave them my credit card. Don't do that. That would give people your credit card. <laughs> I said, just go out and buy some chickens and some stuff, you know, a little something. We can make it out. They went and bought the food, and after everything was over, I said, well, you know, how much did that cost? They said, you know, about 400 I said, 400 what? We only had cabbage and collards and stuff and found out how much food cost. And I was like, man, this is really tough. So one day I was driving, coming back to Conto, and I was really frustrated. And anybody ever been angry with God? I'm like, God, why do you put me into this? You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't have no outside children. I'm single. I'm trying to live good. And them jokers out there ain't doing nothing. You're treating them better than me. I'm down here. This 92-year-old guy don't thrust me in here. I'm down here by myself. You could treat me better than this. 
you know, and I stopped along the road. My mom told me she was four foot nine, and she said, Richard, you know you're a preacher. You ought to learn how to pray. <laughs> you know, and I, and I said, well, maybe mom is right. Pulled on the side of the road and said I would pray. And I was just, I was frustrated. I was hot, and, you know, and, and I'm at the hospital. I'm at, at Kanita, and weekend funerals, and I'm praying. I literally heard a voice say, Open your eyes and look around and see what you see. And I really thought I was going to see somebody standing there with some money or something. <laughs> you know, I really thought that I was going to see, you know, that, that, that perhaps this miracle is going to take place. And I, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And I'm sweating and I'm opening my eyes and I look around, I see a field. And I go like, come on, God. I know you got a sense of humor, but we all might be playing like this. And, and it was this solemnness that God wanted me to do something with this vision. And I literally said, you know, is there anybody else that I can talk to? Yeah. <laughs> evidently, God don't know my history. You know, I can't stand farming. I don't like it. I promise that everything I get will be from the grocery store. And, already packaged and so you know I um, I left and talked to a friend of mine Norris Tolson who was uh, who, who, he was in biotech for Jim Hunt at point in biotech and I said Jim I, I don't know how to deal with this thing man uh, and, and I said I got this idea about farming he said well go down to to Plymouth they're biotech play uh, there for students you got a curriculum went there and they said, well, you can try to have this program during the summer, uh, agriculture, agribusiness process. And I said, a camp. And I said, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. They said, you know, it's an agribusiness, agriculture, summer camp, students come and you teach them about math, reading and science and all through food, it sounds good. And deep down on the inside, I said, I'm gonna do it, but I know they won't come to it. I said, that'll let me off the hook. So I told the deacons I was going to do it, and uh, it was a biotech process, and it was agriculture, agribusiness. I announced it in church that we're going to have this summer camp, going to be free to everybody. We're going to serve food, and we're going to have a good time. And, and, you know, if you want your children to work, I made it clear. If you want your children to work on the farm, if you want your children to work on the farm, they can come. Now, who wants their children to work on the farm? What young person want to work on the farm? So I announced it, uh, and the Monday that it was going to start, I told the deacons, go out to the church and, you know, go there and, and open the church doors and anybody come in. I didn't even have the curriculum plan because I was just assured nobody was going to show up. And uh, I said, you know, around about 11 o'clock, let's close the church doors and go home. You know, and I said, we'll be all right. About 10 o'clock, I got a call at work, Kayla, and my deacon had called the church. And, and you know, one of the chaplains said, look, man, somebody on the phone talked to you. said they're from your church, the chairman of the deacon. It sounded like he's angry. And I said, well, he shouldn't be angry. Just shut the door and go home. And I got him. He picked up the phone. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm at work. You know I'm at work. He said, you better get to this church. I said, what happened at the church? I need to get there. He said, that cockamania, crazy idea you you came up with. I said, what's, what's wrong with it? He said, there's a hundred children in this church. 
and they are not regular church children. Some of them in there practicing preaching, they're on the piano, they're playing the drums, they're running through the church, they're asking for you, and we don't know what to do with it. We ain't seen these children before. You better get over here. I go, my God, what in the world? And I showed up on the campus, and they were like, hey, Reverend Jordan, where's the farm at? I said, I don't have no land. I don't have no tractor. I don't have no seeds. I don't have no curriculum. I don't know what we're going to do with these children. Deacon told me, he said, you better figure it out because they're on tour one window already. <laughs> you know, we, we, we didn't want you anyway. The pastor put you here. And we never thought you were a good preacher, but, <laughs> but this idea might sink you. You better figure it out. And you told them they're going to be here all summer. You better cancel everything you got in. And we started the program and Kayla thinks some of we was and we were just trying to figure it out. And I said, God, I know you told me to do this, but I don't want to do it. And and I was sneaking away from work, got a few volunteers. We went out and borrowed a tractor, started this first garden. It was terrible. It was really terrible. It was hot. The grass and stuff were eating. And the kids, they were just excited. And I thought I would make it real hard on them. I said, look, guys, we're going to show up at 530 in the morning. If you don't show up at 530 in the morning doing calisthenics, you can't come. Make a guess what? They showed up at 530 in the morning. Some called at 515, said nobody picked us up yet. And so we was, it was happening. It was growing. Uh, we were doing these calisthenics. We had started at four years old. And they were walking one mile, running two miles. The older group was running three miles. We were eating the food. We were growing in the garden. The first week, we didn't have nothing because it was rough. I didn't call the food, you know, the summer feeding program. I called them and said, I got 100 students. They said, sir, you should have called us two weeks before. We don't made our schedule. We can't get no food to you. I got, what in the world God doing to me? I feel like Moses in the wilderness. Just don't have no manna. <laughs> And so we're doing this, and, and it's working. It's working, and, and so we're, we're rolling with it. And uh, we couldn't find nobody to help us, Greg. I went to all my Baptist friends, asking them to help me. They said, we heard about what you did. We thought we were crazy anyway. <laughs> but we're not going to help you. And I went to Minister Melvin Muhammad. Minister Melvin Muhammad, I said, look, man, I, I need some help. I got all these children at the church. I'm working a full-time job. My deacons are... They don't like what I'm doing. I need somebody to go out and help me. He said, we'll go help you out. He brought all of his, his, his families over there. They came over, started running the camp for me, and it was going really great. All I had to do is show up and do the calisthenics and exercise. It's going really good. They had structure. They were doing trips with the kid. He would call me and say, you know, we got all the kids loaded in the van, and do you want I said, don't bring them back. I know you're illegal. You shouldn't have those many kids in the van, but pray, just pray that you get back. It went really great. My deacon came to me, and we were closing out the summer camp. He came to me, and he said, Richard, you know, you know we're going we're gonna to have a closeout, and we want to recognize the minister for what he's doing. I said, we can't do that. He'll be fine. He didn't know he was a Muslim. And I said, he'll be fine. Just let him. We're going to close it out. We're going to give him a certificate. And him and his church family, they're going to go back to their church. And he said, no, I already talked to him. We can close out on Sunday morning. I said, we can't do that, Dick. He said, yes, we can. I don't tell you the man's a better preacher than you are. 
So you're not structured, you thought of this stuff, you couldn't work it out. We got these kids, they're doing good, they didn't tear the church up. And I said, okay. Brought in the church, almost made it through the service. Minister Melvin Muhammad didn't say anything. I almost got to the benediction. And, and, and he said, minister got to say something. And I said, oh, no, he don't have to say anything. Minister can be right. He stood up and said, this minister was smarter than our pastor. So our pastor thought of this, but he couldn't make it work. Minister can say something. And this is my first process of teaching me how to believe. Then he stood up and said, in the name of Allah, the benevolent, and my deacon passed out. He's a Muslim in the church. He said, oh, my God, we've been tricked. And I said, no, Deke. I said, I said, I, I said Deke, really, I did not believe. So I, I did trick you. I didn't tell you that he was a Muslim because I knew if you knew he was a Muslim, you wouldn't let him in the church. But it proved that God is bigger than what we believe, that what God believes is bigger than our ideologies, that God used a Muslim minister in a Baptist church to help youth out. And I asked the youth early on, what do you think of the minister? He said, they said, he's fine. Just this one thing about him, they got to take these naps three times a day, but they're fine. But that process of, that God began to show me that God is bigger than what I think. And the program began to move and people began to be excited about it. And President Obama sent his staff down and they came down to come to Rocky Mount because there was this city that, that, that they had chosen and they wanted to come to see a garden operating and they brought them to Canada. And we had this Miss Bunch who had came off 21 medications. They saw it, they said, we want to talk to her. And Tashiana, this little girl that uh, was eight years old and shouldn't have been a beekeeper, but she's challenged the county and the state and they made her a beekeeper. They want to hear from her. And I'm riding high because everybody's talking about what Kenita's doing, attaching Reverend Joyner to it, and I really didn't want to do it. And I was still trying to find a way out. My heart still wasn't in it. And so they came, and, and I met with, it, with President Obama's team, and they were saying, Pastor Joyner, you're doing such a wonderful job. And, you know, you know you're not doing so. You know, like, God, man, I'm, I feel real guilty, but I'm going to take it anyway. <laughs> and I took the credit for it. And, and so we're sitting in there in the church, and they're talking about this process of how we're feeding the hungry, how people are, are you know, the health process, the advident, that the numbers went down, the deaths went down, people are changing away, seeing like we found the answer, that God is moving, that, that we're decreasing those deaths and people are eating right. And now we have this garden, we have things rolling. And all of a sudden, the sitting beside Tashiana and she says, Pastor Joyner, I'm not going to talk about bees today. And I said, I told the people you were going to talk about bees. Now, don't tell me what you're not going to do. Nobody has children like that, do you? <laughs> and she said, I don't want to talk about no bees. I said, you got to talk about bees because if you don't, you're going to make me look bad. And I was finally sitting there, didn't know that my ego had gotten bigger than my desire. And I was sitting there, and she says, I'm not going to talk about bees. And, and all of a sudden, she stood up, and she said, my pastor don't know what I'm going to talk about. And I looked at everybody and said, she's going to talk about bees. She just don't know it. 
And she said, Pastor, I want to talk about why I became a part of this ministry. And she said, my father was diagnosed with diabetes a long time ago. He'd been on, he's, he's been on dialysis. And I heard that, that if your family start eating fresh, locally grown vegetables, that it would help them extend their life. And so my mom and my brother and my sister, we wanted my father to live long enough that he would see us graduate. So we noticed that the diabetes and dialysis were having an impact on him. And as, as insensitive probably as I could be, her father just had died the month before, 32 years old, and did his funeral. And she said that we wanted my father to have a longer life. And he died a month ago. And she started crying, and she really was in tears. And all of a sudden, I'm saying, man, how insensitive. Stood up to try to help her out. And she said, Pastor, sit back down. I got this. And, and she said, Pastor, you didn't know this, but my, my mother and my father, my mother and my brother and I got together, and we didn't know whether we were going to stick with this ministry or not. She said, we decided that we're going to stick with it so that, that I, I made a decision, my mom and I made, that myself, my brother, my sister is not going to have high blood pressure. We are not from dialysis because we're going to continue to eat and grow local vegetables that we will live a long time. And all of a sudden, I could hear these scriptures talking to me that I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I am prison that you did not come to see me. I finally heard God saying to a, to a 12-year-old girl, you don't do it, Richard, for the president to come. You don't do it for pats on the back. You don't do it for CNN. You don't even do it so that identify you being a Christian or whatever, but you do it because that's what God has called you to do. And if he want to place you in Conto or anywhere else, that's God's business. But our hearts ought to be so that God can use us wherever he want to use us, anytime he want to use us. And finally, I stopped. To say to that old pastor, thank you for all of my life in doing this, Greg. I finally got to the place where I can say, God, I believe that you're able to do that beyond what I can imagine. And finally, the freedom to not do it for titles to not do it for recognition, to do it not by restraints, but do it because I finally believe. And I thank God that Kanita helped me to stop being a goat, but to finally be a sheep. Thank you.